Tonight, as we come to our passage of Scripture here in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, particularly uh, verses 5 through 10 tonight. Uh, but uh, in, <clears throat> as you desire to serve the Lord, you're going to understand that you're going to have adversaries. Again, you're going to have adversaries. You will have those people that will be against you. They'll be against, you'll have people from without that will be against your message. You'll have people from within that are against you uh, on the truth of God's word. The Apostle Paul, as he's entering into chapter 2, he had adversaries from without, the people uh, that did not like him in the area. You have people from within the churches where he ministered that were against him. I mean, when we want to do right for God, you've got to stand upon the principle of truth. Because it's truth that determines whether we are right with God or not. It is truth that doesn't change irrespective of time. It is God's truth. And so Paul is in a, if you would, a a great battle. As all of us are in a battle. If you want to do right for Christ, you want to do right for God, you're going to have sometimes those, even in your own family. I, I remember when I wanted to... I'm going to the ministry, and I was leaving where I was at there in the military, and there's some things going on, and, and I even had my own family saying, you shouldn't do this. You can make more money elsewhere. And, but there was also other, you know, I had other friends from earlier, from my high school years, oh, Chris, you can't do this, you know, those kind of things. And you just think about all, people are going to be against you. And you have to settle in your mind, where do I stand on truth? In Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation. Lest by any means I should uh, should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, excuse me, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And, and I've mentioned this before, the bondage there that people want to put into a religious system of all these works that you must do to somehow merit, do enough good works that God would see fit that you're a good enough person, that's bondage. And, uh, but verse 6, but of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrary wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. What he's talking about here, the gospel that is to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and to the Jewish people, it's the same gospel. Going on, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. that We should go into the heathen and they into the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And in this very uh, intimate discussion that Paul is having as he's writing this letter to the churches of Galatia, he is giving them an admonition. He says, listen, there, there's a lot of things going on here. There was, a, uh, there was a conference with James and Cephas and Peter, 
and er, James Cephas and John, excuse me, Cephas is Peter. Uh, but in this, there's a conference with them. He's got people that are trying to downgrade who he is. Ah, oh, Paul, you're just some renegade man. You're just a way out there kind of man. But Paul had the truth of Christ. He had the truth of the gospel. He'd seen the resurrected Jesus Christ. And uh, how Paul would fight against his foes. They were very much mistaken. They thought by bad-mouthing, uh, you know, libel, where they publicly slander Paul's image, they slander his character, that they could get him to quit. Well, Paul says, no, not for an hour. <laughs> the truth of the gospel might continue. He says, you're not going to stop me just because you want to make fun of me, just because you want to say uh, horrible things about me. You're not going to stop me. Never for a moment was Paul ever intimidated to stop because of uh, some of these as they were Jewish bigots. They're just people that were against him because he was against a religious system built on works. Now, well, Paul had tried living the Christian life on his own terms. And look with me at Romans chapter 7. And, and you know, in, in this very thing, in the Christian life, when you try to live the Christian life uh, in your own power, in your own thoughts and principles and practices, you accept Jesus Christ by faith as the only substitute, the only way to heaven. You accept him uh, not for uh, some uh, cultural icon, but you accept him as the only way, the only truth, and the only life, as John 14, 6 tells us. But in your Christian life, it's so easy for every one of us, and myself, I'm talking to myself as well on this, it's easy to want to live the Christian life on how I think it should be done. Now, the Bible gives us the very means of having that close and intimate relationship with God. Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about the very dis challenges that he had. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He says, listen, I struggle daily. I struggle daily with my own thoughts, my own uh, practices. He says, I'm, I'm sold under, you know, we are bodies. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're right with, yes, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've accepted, you've repented of your sins, you've been born again. You know, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins. Not, it, it's not any good works. It's not baptism or any sacraments or anything else. It's only Jesus. And by faith, you put your faith in him for the forgiveness of all your sins. But the fact is, we still have a, a nature within us that wants what I want, not what God wants. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I struggle with my own personal selfish desires. Then going on in verses 18 through 19, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's he saying? He says all the struggles and trials and everything that I'm going through now, any affliction, anything that people are against me. Remember Paul was shipwrecked. He was stoned. I mean, they, they tried to kill him in many different ways. And many times they thought they left him for dead. There he was in his own pool of blood. And yet he would come back and... Now, Paul, probably in all of his uh, abuse that he suffered, that uh, he, would say, he would say, you know, that he wasn't very good to look upon. There was probably quite a few scars that he bore. 
But in this fashion, he says, everything that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy. He says, everything that I'm suffering now, some of my own struggles with my own selfish desires and those things, he said, it has no comparison to the glories of heaven. And as you think about this, and then we come to verses 21 through 24, but the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption from my own selfish desires into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation, oh, sorry, 21 in verse chapter 7, I find then a law that when I would do eat good, evil is present with me. Do you ever find when you're trying to do something right, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to do right, and no sooner do you endeavor to do right and then it seems like something is right there to pull you back in. And you're like, what in the world? I want to do right. Apostle Paul said, hey, I struggle with that. But I had to make a decision for right over the evil. But when you want to do right, evil is going to be right there present with you, waiting to pull you back down. So you've got to make a decision on what is right. Evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inner man. He's saying, listen, I've got to delight in this book. It's the Bible that I've got to delight in because evil is right there. There's a decision. I can bring myself back into the bondage of sin. I can bring myself back into the bondage of all those vices of life. I can bring myself back into that. Yes, I have a choice. But if I have a choice for right and I have a choice for wrong, there is a decision I've got to make. And it's the delight of my heart. Paul said it's the delight of the law of God. But in verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. He said, oh man, there's times I am fighting with all my energy, everything in me. And maybe someone at the store looks at me wrong and the, tiller, the cashier rings me up wrong and, and I want to tell that cashier my mind. I mean, she is the worst person I've met. She glared at me. She cheated. She treated me like I was trash. And, and I want to let her know what I think. That's a war in your members. That's a war in your body. But I want to give them a piece of my mind. But he's saying, he says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then something happens. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. He says, listen, that person can make me angry, that boss can make me angry. That family member can make me angry. This, all these situations can come into my life. I don't have to give in. I don't have to lower my character wherein they think, oh man, that person is just given to voicing their mind. I don't have to do this. Paul says, listen, there's a struggle. If the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, he's flesh and blood like you and I are. He's a human as you and I are. He struggles. He says, in the very word of God, preserved for us by the spirit of God, it's preserved. And for us to know that he struggled. And Paul had learned the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, there can be victory. So Paul was not going to have a few narrow-minded, unsaved, and carnal Jews 
who could not keep the law to themselves, clamp it back either on him or his converts. Paul says, listen, you are not going to bring the very people with whom I've ministered and whom I've served and whom I've worked with, you're not going to bring them back into bondage, into the religious system of the Jews. You're not going to do it. And the concept of the Jewish people that he's fighting with in, in the book of Galatians He's fighting with those who want to say you must believe in Jesus and you must follow the law. You must do all these holidays. You must be circumcised. You must, you must, you must. Well, my friend, what Paul has fought against and what I've dealt with before as we've uh, talked on this very passage of Scripture is the fact that that is bondage. But there comes a crowning triumph here. And I've talked much about this, that these people that are coming in, they try to take the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. It's only by faith. It's a gift. We don't work for it. We can't be good enough. We'll never be good enough. It's only by faith in Jesus. And the crowning triumph is that Paul's message was accepted. As I go any further, let's open up in a word of prayer this evening. I've got a little further than I wanted. But uh, I want to bring this before the Lord as I look at this passage of Scripture. We continue on from verse 6. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield tonight to Thee. I pray that You'd bless the words that are spoken. I pray that it'd be truth. Lord, help me to preach Your Word in a way that would encourage and exhort us, Father, in the right paths. Father, may You be glorified. Jesus, I love You. I thank You for being our precious Savior. So God, you take over this time, the preaching of your word. And Lord, may each and every person, every one of us, Lord, myself included, may we follow as your spirit leads us and guides us. We love you, Jesus, in your precious name I pray. Amen. What we find in verse 6, but the, of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepted no man's person. So Paul has a conference there in Jerusalem, kind of a mini-conference, uh, with the apostles. And there will be a major conference later on with Peter and, and Barnabas and, and going forth. But Paul now mentions uh, a kind of a conference here. And uh, in this discussion that he's having here with James and Cephas and, the, and these men, you know, what's going on is the Judaizers, these people who are trying to take the Christians and push them into the whole Jewish religious system. And what they're doing is they can't, they're trying to continually put Paul down. So now what they're doing is they're saying, Paul, you should see and hear the real apostles. Well, Paul, yeah, he's a, he's a latecomer. Paul's just one of those guys that's after the scene and after, you know, he's an afterthought. And so he's little. You know, you need to hear Peter preach and James and John and the real apostles. You don't need to hear Paul. Paul needs to come to Jerusalem, and he would soon be trimmed down to size. You know that Paul, he's a big, arrogant, ego, you know, egomaniac. Now, something that happens that God often does is, here's this position. Paul is now on the scene. He's a latecomer. He's there. And, and, and I understand, if you think about it, when we as Christians, we get into a particular rut of life. And uh, God might be leading us to do something in the Word of God. The Spirit of God's convicting us, and, and we're moving in a particular direction. 
And for instance, I mean, here they are, the, the church of Jerusalem, God's been working, thousands have been saved and baptized and added to the church. And then on the scene, here comes the Apostle Paul. He wasn't a part of those first 12 disciples. So who is Paul? Is he some renegade man? Is he some way out there, you know, far off guy? You know, for us sometimes when things are going on, we always, every time, we always, the standard is the word of God. If it deviates from God's word, it's not right. But Paul comes on the scene, he's preaching the same gospel, but he's not preaching to the Jews. It's different. In addition, the apostle Paul, formerly Saul, was a fierce persecutor and murderer of Christians. I mean, he murdered lots of Christians. Then he met Christ. And you think about this. Paul went to Jerusalem to face these men whose fame was being touted throughout Galatia. Verse 6, we find, but of these who seem to be somewhat. Now, Whatsoever they were, make it no matter to me. Paul says, listen, I don't care if you're Apostle John, Apostle James, Apostle Peter. He said, it doesn't matter to me. When it came to the significance of, of Jesus' life and death, the life of these men added nothing to the life of the gospel. Other than they are also giving out the gospel. They're perpetuating, they're evangelizing, they're proselytizing, they're disseminating the gospel. God's not impressed by a man's office. Now, he does call us to an office. He does call us to a particular task. But that doesn't make me significant before God. What makes me significant before God is my obedience to God. And so these men with whom Paul is meeting, they add nothing to him. They were not in a position to give him a new commission. They couldn't subtract a single word from the gospel by faith alone in Christ alone. And what have they done? Now, Jesus Christ in Acts 1a, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, this is where he had commanded them to give out the gospel. Well, what had happened with the apostles? The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed where there was thousands of people every Sunday coming in, thousands of people coming to this one large church. But Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. They stayed where it was comfortable you know it's easy in a large church that you can just do nothing you can sit back and watch everyone else work because there's so many people well if i don't do it somebody else will do it and here are these men they they achieved success in jerusalem judea samaria had been evangelized by one of their deacons but the uttermost parts of the earth was still unreached. And Paul comes with exciting news. He says, listen, God has called me to the uttermost. And then something happens. Verse 7 of Galatians 2. 
But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter, to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty me towards the Gentiles. He says, listen, the leaders of Jerusalem church, they realize, hey, the same spirit of God that indwells me is the same spirit of God that indwells Paul. He's, he's real. Paul is the apostle. He's got the right message, the truth. And Peter had seen some outstanding successes just as Paul did. I mean, it's not, it's not that Paul is disparaging the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Paul is just saying, I have a commission. And what they did is they acknowledge Paul's status to be as impressive as Peter's. And now the churches of Galatia, all of these people that are trying to sow discord, trying to create division within the churches, trying to create problems, what they're doing now by the Jerusalem church saying, listen, Paul is one of us. Paul's one of us. He kind of puts to silence these men. Peter was visited by an angel, so was Paul. Peter healed a lame man, Paul healed a lame man. I mean, all of the various things that, Peter, many things that Peter did, Paul did as well. God's hand was on Paul. And now the mission with being accepted by these believers and, and the apostles, verse 9, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go into the heath and they into the circumcision. Only they would, that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. The pillars of the church, as Paul writes. I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 10. There can be sometimes in our cultural norms things that outside of culture are taboo or would be against the very cultural way that I see the world, my worldview. In Acts chapter 10, verse 14, let's look at uh, actually um, verse 9. I'll give you a little bit of context here. On the morrow as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, about noon, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending at him. As it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter is a Jew. He doesn't eat unclean animals. Now, in the Jewish system, there are certain animals that are unclean. For example, they would never eat pigs, okay? Uh, they just wouldn't eat it. And verse 15, And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not, call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And here's the fact. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, Apostle Peter, let me correct that. Apostle Peter, he says, I'm a Jew. 
I don't eat unclean things. I don't hang out with Gentiles. The cultural norm, or it would be taboo, or un, uh, it would be inappropriate in cultural understanding to associate closely with Gentiles. Those who are not, this is the, but, but what God is doing here, he's saying, Peter, I've called you. What I've called clean, you don't need to call unclean. He says, I've called you to the Gentiles, you don't need to call it unclean. Peter, you need to go. You know, and, and so there was kind of a, a hesitation on Peter to go beyond outside of a cultural taboo. And, and there was a lot of things that God, he worked on these Jewish people. Hey, get out of your Jewish cultural tradition and look at what I want you to do. Now, here's two ordinary, hardworking, down-to-earth individuals, quite opposite, Peter and John, as they were fishermen. And, uh, but God would entrust to these simple fishermen, the, the Spirit of God was within them, as he is in all believers, entrusting to them the destiny, really, of the church in Jerusalem, as Jesus would leave it to them. Now, then we also have another person here, Peter, James, uh, Peter, James and John. Now, James is probably the Lord's brother, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was through Mary. Mary had children. And when Paul had gone to Jerusalem on the previous occasion, it had been to see Peter, First Peter, uh, there in Galatians 1.18. He also would have, as an afterthought, he saw James. Now, James is, <laughs> James is not one of those men to remain in the background. James is very outspoken. Uh, probably a very forceful personality. Let's look with me at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Verse 11 of Galatians 2, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, this is the Jews were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were the circumcision. What he did is he played favorites. If there was just all Gentiles, non-Jewish people there, non-Hebrew people, Sure, he would hang out with everyone. But as soon as a Jew came in, he, boom, he, he attracted himself to the Jews and negated all the Gentiles. He showed quite a bit of bias. And it was not right. And the Apostle Paul calls him out on it. James was one of these men. James was a personality. I mean, for, before that certain came from James. I mean, James is a strong personality inclined to be a legalist. And, he, and under, I mean, it would be hard if you had the Lord Jesus Christ as a half-brother, as the scriptures talk about, and the idea here, and I'm just put yourself in that position. I mean, you're like, this is the law. <laughs> Some of us tend to be much more strict and stringent on things. What does the Bible say? And, you know... <laughs> And, and some of what James did in Acts chapter 21 would have even given uh, challenges to Paul. There was in Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 39, there was the Jews that wanted Paul to go through all these things. He's changing Judaism. He's changing the Jewish nation. All these problems. And so the apostles, they say, hey, Peter, or hey, Paul, would you be willing to you know, go through some time of fasting and go through some of these things to remove some of those stumbling blocks. Well, while he was there in Jerusalem and still preaching, and uh, the Jews, some of the Jews rose up and, and he got in jail. He got, he got arrested and in prison. And a whole legalism structure. The time of its writing is often placed before the Jerusalem council and 
You know, at that time here around the church of Galatia, there's still synagogues. People are still meeting. Now, later on, you would find in James chapter 2, verse 2, James was, it would seemingly, as the scriptures write, and as James, by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, write, James 2, 2, for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And he would go on to say, in this very passage of Scripture, he says, listen, you don't give preference just because one's wealthy and one's poor. That's not where it lies. Don't show preference in the church like that. That's ungodly. It's wrong. Now, Paul's, by the time of Paul's second visit to Jerusalem, James had not only become increasingly influential in the church, um, but is also named first. Look with me at Acts chapter 12, verse 17. And so James is a very prominent figure in the church of Jerusalem. Now, uh, as Peter begins to go out a little bit more on missionary journeys and do things, uh, we find that James ascends as the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And uh, verse 17 of Acts 12, But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren, and he departed and went to another place. So he gives preeminence to James in this position here, that James is listed first. You know, finally, Peter and John are out there embracing the ministry, embarking on the ministry that they've been called to do. And Peter would also face quite a bit of persecution. Peter and John had been business partners before they met Jesus. Men of different temperament. Peter was bold, blustery, impulsive, sometimes putting his foot in his mouth, speaking before he thought. John was much more contemplative, quiet. He would think about what he would say before he'd say it. So you have two people, very different And now they're embarking in ministry together. You find them oftentimes in the later part of the gospel story in the book of Acts, you find them together, Peter and John. A well-balanced team. And they're noted as pillars as the Judaizers are coming in. They're trying to continue to lift up man, lift up man. Look at how Peter, James, and John, wow, these amazing men! When all they were is men that were obedient to Christ. They were fishermen who were obedient to Christ. They obeyed what they were doing. And God made them their leaders over the church of Jerusalem. It was the obedience. They weren't great men. They were just obedient men. There is no great men. Even Jesus himself would give the greatness to God. And Peter, James, and John have no authority over Paul here. The Lord from heaven was Paul's favorite designation for the Christ of God, 1 Corinthians 15, 47. And so as he meets with them, who seem to be pillars, the meeting goes very well. Just think about this. Paul is like, I'm so frustrated. I'm trying to make progress. 
I'm trying to do it. But I mean, it's like everywhere I go, I've got people on the outside that are against me. I've got people inside the church that are against me. I can't make progress. He says, would you please just give me some you know, certification, if you would. It's not really what he needed, but some validation. James, Cephas, and John, James, Peter, and John, they say, hey, Paul is the real deal. They gave him a handshake, a hearty handshake, a right hand of fellowship. Hey, Paul, we're so happy to have you along with us. You know, the Lord had charged these apostles, all of them, to make disciples of all nations, that all people would know Jesus Christ. As the scriptures tell us, Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior, the Creator, the Judge, the Mediator, Jesus, as the scriptures tell us, to all the world, to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, listen, churches of Galatia, I want you to be settled. Don't put yourself back into a religious system of bondage. There's freedom. And there's more power if you do what God's called you to do. And these men thrust out into the wider world and in 1 Peter 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And Peter would go out here to all the many Gentile places. John, who would be there in the Isle of Patmos, Revelation 1. They went out. They took the gospel from Jerusalem. They went out and finally obeyed the Lord. Now, per great persecution had come. Peter and John would later address themselves to churches in Western Asia Minor. Then we come to something else here. And they said, well, Peter, Paul, we want you to, we want you to con still continue to think about the poor. What poor? The poor in Jerusalem. He said, only they would that we should remember the poor. Peter and John, they say, hey, Paul, remember the poor in Jerusalem. Why should Paul remember the poor in Jerusalem? Now, this was very zealous. You know, Paul's mind, go with me to Romans chapter 15. Why would Paul be needing to be reminded of the poor in Jerusalem? What a significance is it? They don't mention elsewhere, but they, they mention here the poor. Romans chapter 15. Paul's heart. Remember where Paul came from? What was Paul before he became? before he became Paul, what was his name? He was Saul. He was one of the leaders in trying to take out churches, destroy churches, kill the leaders, kill the members, imprison the members. Saul was a vicious man against Christianity. He was so adamant for Judaism and now in Romans 15, 25 through 28, and, and that's important, what I just said. But now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for as pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debt as they are, for if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Hey, it doesn't matter what your culture is. We are all open to coming to Jesus. I don't care where you are in the world. As long as we bleed red, we are able to come to Christ. 
Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I perform this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Macedonia and Achaia, these are regions of churches, a whole bunch of churches. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 16 talks about this. 2 Corinthians 8 uh, talks about this. A deep poverty. The churches of Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8, deep poverty. I mean, these churches of Macedonia, they've gone through persecution. But they say the poor saints in Jerusalem have suffered. Can you imagine being in the church of Jerusalem and you have a lot of widowers? Not because of health reasons are they widowers. They're widowers because Saul, who's now preaching Christ, was responsible for their spouse's death. He's now... So Peter and John are saying, Saul, don't, don't forget the people that are now, now the breadwinners, the, whoever it was in the house that was working, they're now gone. Mothers raising children, fathers raising children without a spouse, children without parents. They're impoverished. Because these people have come to Christ and the government and the religion of Judaism said, this isn't right, we're going to take you away. Paul, I want you to remember. In 2 Corinthians 8:15, as is written, he that had gathered much had nothing, uh, had nothing, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. That's 2 Corinthians 8:15. And the Apostle Paul tried to get the church of Corinth, a wealthy church, he says, listen, help the, help the poor saints in Jerusalem. Paul sitting in his first church service there in Jerusalem, the number of widows and orphans would impress him. I'm responsible for some of the, what's going on, he would say. I'm responsible for the troubles that are going on here. Uh, what I thought I was doing for right was wrong. Can you imagine being in a church with the very person that would have maybe killed your spouse, taken your parents? And here is Paul sitting in the church. Thousands of people there. Hey, look, there's Paul. That's Saul. Imagine the amount of forgiveness that would have to go on. Tears would come to their eyes. I want you to notice with me Paul's heartbeat. He's not mad. He's not, oh man, look at me, Paul. Paul. I mean, it, it, it broke his heart. Look with me at 1 Timothy 1.13. I mean, God changed a murderer into one of the greatest, as you would in regards to, in the Bible, one of the greatest men who would give his life for Jesus because it mattered so much. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He says, listen, I injured others. I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. I mean, he was one of the very highly respect. I mean, he had all the education, all of the trappings of a very high-ranking Jewish uh, Pharisee. 
He said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. He says, listen, I did lots of damage. Paul is reminded, listen, there's poor saints in Jerusalem, Paul. Yes, you're saved, but there's still scars from the past. And tears would possibly come to his eyes. Faces that would haunt him. Now, he doesn't need James, Peter, and John to, to remind him of the Jerusalem poor. Now, it's very important that they did, but he didn't need that. It would have been upon his heart. The Apostle Paul loved people, all people. If you think about this, as the Apostle Paul is getting the gospel out, he said, I've got to do it. I know what I've done to Jesus. I know what I've done to believers. He says, I've got to get out the gospel. I don't care if you slander my name. I don't care if you ridicule me and make life difficult for me. I don't care if you stone me. I don't care if I'm in a shipwreck. I will not be deterred. Paul has a bold defense of the gospel. And Christian, as we think about these truths tonight, what is it that stops us can you imagine sitting in a church in Jerusalem with Paul there? I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I will not be in the same church as that man. I'm gone. I will not sit there with that man. I'm gone. Do you know what he did to my family? You know the torment I had to go through? I'm out of here. Can you imagine? And this is what Jesus did. And Paul had to live with that. But he says... I'm going to help those poor saints. And he continued as he traveled all around. Please help the saints in Jerusalem. Help them out. I don't care what you do to me. I know what I'm doing for Jesus. I know what I've been called to do. You can't stop me. And my friend, when God's called us, we've got to go forward. And I know sometimes our past is pretty ugly. Don't let your past define who you are. The Apostle Paul could have said, I could have never gone back to Jerusalem. They won't have me there. But our God is a master at taking the mess we make and making it into something beautiful. And he did in Paul's life. And Paul would eventually be murdered for the faith, but my, sin wreaks a lot of havoc. You know what? The defense of the gospel, there ought to be nothing that ought to deter or change what this book says is the gospel, the good news that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, so that all people could have a relationship with the Almighty God. It's important. Don't let your foes keep you back. Evil and good are there. You have a choice. Stay in this book, and you'll stay on the right path. As you think on these truths this evening, Christian, I trust you've been challenged as you think about the Word of God, and maybe this evening you've never accepted Jesus Christ. It's not about a religious system. It's not about being baptized and catechized and all these prayers and all these other things. It's simply have you given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him to forgive you of all the wickedness you've done. And in simple faith, trust Him. Put your faith in Him. And my friend, if you repent, you'll be forgiven. It's, it's, it's a gift. It's not of works. And you will be forgiven. And so tonight, with just a short time of quietness, I'm just going to give you a time with heads bowed and eyes closed just for the next short time.
a minute or so, just a time to pray between you and the Lord. A defense of the gospel. Is it important to you?